Greetings. I'm Noel Deer. Welcome to today's Daily Devotion. I hope these next few minutes will encourage you as you seek to learn God's Word and abide with Christ. Our focus today is James chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And here we have 11 commands. In these short verses, 11 imperatives that tell us what we need to do in order to receive God's grace. Now, these aren't instructions. These aren't steps uh, for salvation. Uh, We are saved by the grace of God because we trust in the Lord. But what we have here are the instructions we need to line ourselves up for God's blessing. I don't know if you've ever pulled your car into one of those automatic car washes. Uh, When you do that, there are some instructions. Uh, There are instructions about how to line your tires up, how to line your wheels up so that they'll go through the grooves that uh, are necessary to guide you through the car wash. Uh, The instructions say to put your car in neutral. Uh, The instructions say that you shouldn't try to steer your car while you're going through the car wash and that you shouldn't uh, brake. You should and press the brake. Now, the car wash is going to do all of the work. The car wash machine is going to wash your car. But in order for that to happen, there are some things that you have to do to line your car up for uh, the, the, the system, the machine uh, to do that. Well, these 11 commands are commands for how we humble ourselves before the Lord to prepare to receive his blessings. Let's look at the commands. Verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, the word submit here is the word that would be used to refer to a soldier submitting to his commander. It means to follow the instructions that are given. So he says, submit to God and resist the devil. Now, that's the flip side of submit. We're to submit to God. We're to not submit to the devil. We are to resist the devil. We're not to resist God. So think of two competing commanders barking orders at a soldier. He's got to submit to one and resist the other. That's the situation we're living in. And we should submit to God, actively submit to God, and actively resist the temptation of the devil. Now, it says if we'll resist the temptation, if we'll resist the devil, then he will flee from us. That teaches us that First, a lack of resistance will give the devil a foothold in our lives. If uh, if I don't resist the devil, then he'll have a beachhead in my life. And from that beachhead, he'll be able to launch further attacks. He'll be able to bring further and deeper and more devastating temptation in my life. Have you ever seen someone who has given in to temptation and the particular temptation they've given into is something that is so far-fetched. You can't imagine that you would ever give into that temptation. It's just crazy. And you scratch your head and you wonder, how did that happen? Well, I'll tell you how it happened. They didn't resist the devil and the devil then had a foothold in their life, a beachhead. And from that place, uh, the devil was able to take them a little bit further, attack a little further into their life. And then from that place, a little further and a little further, and then eventually uh, brought great destruction. So resistance to the devil is one in one temptation will prevent the devil from tempting us in some further area of life. That's why he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Look at verse 8. 
Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I want you to notice, first of all, some uh, a reference to spiritual momentum here. In the previous verse, he said, if we'll resist the devil, the devil will flee. The more we resist, the less space the devil has in our lives to bring uh, from which to bring temptation. So there's some momentum there. And then here he says, if we'll draw near to God, then God will draw near to us, which would allow us to, in a, in a, in a more significant way to draw near to God. And then God draws near to us. There's spiritual momentum, both positive and negative spiritual momentum that's available. Now he says here to draw near. Now, how do we do that? Well, we pray, we confess our sins, we do the things that are listed here in these verses. And because of what Christ has done for us, we're able to draw very near to God, and then God will draw very near to us. I love Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. We can do this because of what Christ has done for us. And God will always respond to those who seek to draw near to him. Then he says, cleanse your hands and purify your heart. I think it's interesting that these two things are paired together. This is repentance, but it is a holistic repentance. See, uh, cleansing your hands refers to your external behavior. Uh, purifying your heart refers to your inner thoughts, your motives, and your desires. So what he says is that we should repent of our sins, and that repentance should be holistic. It should include our behavior, our outward behavior, but it also should re- in- include our thoughts and our attitudes and our motives and our desires. Verse 9, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. That seems like a pretty miserable verse, but it's very important. Uh, When he says be miserable, he's talking about being broken over our sin. Our sin should upset us. He says that we should mourn over our sin. That's our inner response to our brokenness over sin. I hear people say sometimes that they're so frustrated with the sins of others. And I am too. We all are. But I'll tell you, I am more frustrated with my own sins. I am most frustrated with my sins uh, more than I am the sins of others. And that's what it means here when it says we ought to mourn over our sins. We ought to weep, he says here. That's an outward manifestation of our inner sorrow. I think about Psalm 51, 17, and these were words that uh, David prayed after he had sinned with Bathsheba and was confronted over his sin. He said, the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and a humbled heart, O Lord. And that's true. God will not reject us if our heart is broken over our sin and we come in full repentance. He says here in this verse, let your laughter be turned to mourning. That means we should never have a flippant attitude towards sin. We should never laugh it off. It's a serious matter. And when we sorrow over our sin, when we grieve over our sin, that's when God's able to bring real change. Second Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Uh, we need to have that godly grief over our sin. 
Look at verse 10. This really sums up what we've seen so far. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourself. That means to submit to God, to resist the devil, to draw near to God, to mourn over sin. We've seen all of these. So what will God do? God will respond to you. He will love you and he will give you the forgiveness and the life that you need. Now we're going to see a slight change in focus in the next two verses where one final command is added. Look at 11 and 12. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, James here is not forbidding us confronting someone over their sin. The Bible commands us to do that in a number of places. That's a part of what it means to be in the church, to be amongst other believers who will encourage us and help us to see and overcome our sin. But 99.999% of criticism is not that. We're not sitting down in love and speaking the truth with someone to help him overcome his sin. We're just criticizing him. And the Bible says here that that is always sin. Uh, Notice it doesn't say that it's sin if it is not true. Uh, It's okay to criticize as long as the criticism is true. No, that's not what it says. It says if you criticize someone else, if you criticize a believer specifically, then that is always sin. Now, it's sin, he explains here, because when we criticize, we set ourselves up as the judge. Well, there is only one judge, and he has just one law. When we set ourselves up as the judge, we're in a sense defaming the one true judge. We're we're putting ourselves above him and above his law. And he reminds us right at the end of verse 12 that none of us are qualified to do that because all of us are guilty of sin. Friends, thanks for watching or listening today. If you're on YouTube, please hit the like and subscribe buttons. That really helps us get the word out. Uh, On your favorite podcasting app, search Pastor Noel's Daily Devotion. More info at noeldeer.com. I hope you have a great day as you endeavor to abide in Christ.